Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with George Parker. George Parker is the political editor of the Financial Times. So, George, it's now about seven weeks since the British election. The, the government has a healthy majority. The withdrawal agreement bill went through the House of Commons last week without any kind of any confrontation. Does this now mean that in Westminster, Whitehall, it's all going to be nice and calm and none of the, the drama of the past three and a half years? Well, the last three and a half years have been absolutely crazy. And I think the whole British political system and the British public have been exhausted by the, the Brexit standoff. I mean, basically... I've spent the last three and a half years at the House of Commons writing about nothing happening, which is uh, a strange uh, interlude in my journalistic career. But we're now into a situation where things are starting to happen slowly and we're starting to see the contours of the kind of Britain that Boris Johnson wants to develop after Brexit. Um, And obviously on the 31st of January, a page will be turned. And Boris Johnson literally wants to stop the use of the word Brexit after the 31st of January at 11pm UK time (laughs) and to move on to the kind of agenda he wants to talk about, which is turning Britain into a more equal uh, society, um, but it's uh, we are entering a new phase in British politics for sure. What are the signs? It's, they seem quite confusing because at one, on the one side, one could argue that with this comfortable majority that Boris Johnson has, he can afford to to face down the Brexiters and be a bit less uh, ideological, if you like, in terms of uh, pursuing a rather hard Brexit. On the other hand, the signs so far, okay, it's in, in the seven weeks since the general election, are that on the contrary, he's quite determined. No, no extension of the transition, there um, been hardline and free movement of people, all that kind of stuff. What is your take on that? Well, you're right. I think a lot of people assume that he would use this big majority to come back and adopt a softer approach on Brexit and um, start to back off on things like alignment with the EU rules, and rather the opposite has happened, as you say. I mean, you have to aim off a bit, of course, because this, ju- this could just be the start of a negotiation where the British government takes tough stances. But I think, generally, the view is that... Um, that divergence from EU rules is the point of Brexit as far as Boris Johnson is concerned. Now, whether he actually does it in practice is a different question. You hear ministers saying they won't diverge for the sake of it, but certainly he regards that as one of the gains of Brexit. He certainly thinks that they can get the deal done by the end of the year, and I think the EU should take him seriously on that. The question is, what kind of deal can you realistically agree in the space of 11 months? I think the answer to that is quite a thin one, and frankly one which will work very much to the European Union's advantage rather than the UK's advantage. Well, what, what seems to be curious is that the, the, the party, the so-called party of business, seems to be pursuing a, a strategy, if you can call it a strategy, which is all against the interests of, of, of la- large businesses. There, you see the groups like CBI and, and Engineering Federation and, and CEOs of certain companies now finally speaking up, saying, "Prime Minister, this is not a, the path we want you to pursue." Well, it's taken them some time, as you say. They've been keeping their heads down since the election. Um, But we did an interview with Sajid Javid, the Chancellor, recently, where he basically said no alignment, out of the single market, out of the customs union, all done by the 31st of December. And I think that did set alarm bells ringing because it sounded like a very hard line. Look, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the government is now telling business clearly that we are leaving the single market. So whichever way you cut it, there will be new friction and new costs at the border. And Sajid Javid's message essentially to business was get over it, adjust your business model and prepare for that. Then there's a separate question about whether... Um, in practice, the UK diverges from EU rules. I suspect in things like product standards it won't because that just makes things even worse. Um, and then there's a separate question again on whether Britain complies with the so-called level playing field provisions yeah. on things like environmental standards, taxation, workers' rights, climate change. And I think in that, in that area there's going to be a big discussion to be had. But essentially I think the UK will try and 
I mean, the UK sees itself as very much as the mainstream of thinking, of European thinking on those issues, and probably right. in some areas ahead of Europe. So I think in the end that can be negotiated. But the fact is, at the end of this, there will be a different trading relationship, and it will be more difficult for UK companies. But isn't it on this question of alignment and and or divergence? Isn't it a bit of a kind of a false argument in the sense that if companies want to sell into the into the European single market and they are fully entitled to do that without getting permission from the British government, they will have to align with EU rules. It's not as if they, by not aligning, they will have any kind of access. Exactly. I mean, that, that's precisely the point that, that British companies make, that um, what is the point of diverging from the EU rules? I mean, unless the British government is seriously suggesting that car makers, for example, will have to have two product lines, one for the UK market, one for the European Union market, um, it's, it's a madness to even consider that. So, look, they say it's about a right to be able to diverge rather than necessarily an obligation to diverge. And you hear ministers saying, well, we're really talking about future industries. There's sort of right. areas where there are no existing EU regulations. Right. Let's say it's okay. a, a new um, cancer treatment or something where we might want to have a more flexible approach and all the rest of it. So they tend to be talking about the future rather than the present. But nevertheless, however you do it, even if you stay aligned with the European Union rules, on everything at the moment, you still have new friction at the border because you have things like tax checks, you have rules of origin yeah, checks, right. even if you remove all tariffs and quotas, which is what the trade deal intends to do. But is, do you think there's a sense, though, that the, the government is really very determined and quite alarmed, maybe, by the prospect of being accused, both by Brexiters and Remainers, you like, of having this Brexit in name only, and therefore they are, in the first weeks of this new, new government with this healthy majority, they are determined to at least try to demonstrate that this is a, a quite a radical clean break from the E27. Well, I think they, they do want to do that, and they, they obviously want to set up fairly maximalist positions at the start of a, any negotiation, as you would expect. Um, but I think, in the end, you know, there will be a heavy amount of pressure from British companies, particularly companies which are based in parts of the UK which the Conservative Party now wants to reach out to and indeed which elected Conservative MPs on December the 12th in areas like the North. So if you look at the industries that were most affected by this policy, they're things like automotive, aerospace, pharmaceuticals, chemicals, food and drink. Some of the most successful industries in the UK at the cutting edge of technology in many, in many cases and based in the North. So I think Boris Johnson will be listening to them. Well, on this question, well, you say listening to, to business, but as you know, historically, until now at least, um, the business has been told, allegedly, that unless you make supportive noises about the government's policy on, on Brexit, even under Theresa May regime, and mind Boris Johnson, you will get a very short hearing. Do you think now, though, post-Brexit, now Brexit's reality in the coming days, that businesses not just will be stepping up the pressure, but they'll be, they'll be more, more effective? I think they'll be stepping up the pressure, but I think they'll be doing it fairly low-key way. I think the message that Satya Javid was trying to send out through the FT to business readers was, look, you, you do have to accept that some companies are going to benefit, I suspect not very many, to be honest, right. and some companies are going to lose out. And he's basically saying, you're wasting your time if you think you can have a sort of in-principle discussion with the British government. I mean, Theresa May in her political declaration, suggested that alignment with the EU rules was possible across a whole range of areas. That isn't going to happen. So British companies are going to have to adapt. Um, but I suspect in practice, the, the reality will be probably, in terms of the actual EU rules are going to be scrapped, will be less than they sound at the moment. And when we asked Sajid Javid, which rules would you scrap? He refused to name any, 
which right. is a recurring theme whenever right. you talk to the British government what are you going to do which rules are you going to scrap and they say well we've got a, a competition running at the moment we're asking members of the public and business leaders to come up with ideas it's almost like they're outsourcing the slightly embarrassing question to the public but we haven't had any clear answers yet so does does the government have a strategy or at least a, a plan I asked the question maybe also in the context of even though it has yet to be announced as, a, as you know a ministerial cabinet reshuffle in, uh, around the corner Whitehall is going to be restructured apparently if you listen to what Dominic Cummings has been saying at least informally uh, and so on so does, is this part of a grand plan that Boris Johnson and his team are putting together well the thing I think the thing about they, the conservative Eurosceptics have always seen Brexit as an opportunity to reboot the British economy right but it's never been entirely clear what exactly they mean by that now in the past if you listen to you know, go back the last 10 or 15 years Euroscepticism in the Conservative Party was all about basically completing the Thatcher revolution um, you know getting rid of burdensome EU regulations, particularly in the field of workers' rights, like the Working Time Directive, right. long-term bugbear. But the reality now is that the, the, Boris Johnson's realised that there's very little public appetite for aggressive deregulation or lower standards across a whole range right. of fields. So what does actually Brexit mean? Well, if you look at his economic policy, Brexit actually plays a relatively small part in that. I mean, he talks about having some free ports around the UK. Right. Well, you can have free ports in the European Union already, actually. But generally, Boris Johnson's economic policy is, is almost divorced from the very act of Brexit. And it's all about spending more money on infrastructure, increasing spending on the National Health Service, for example, moving jobs out of London, civil service jobs out of London, investing in science. So it's almost like Brexit has shone a spotlight on something wrong in the British economy, which was, you know, reflected in the 2016 referendum result. We know the kind of places that voted for Brexit. And it's forced the British government to confront something that was happening under its nose. A bit like, think back to the early 1980s, the riots that took place in English cities that right. forced the government to actually think, blimey, something's gone seriously wrong. Over the poll tax. Yeah. Well, no, I was thinking about the riots in the inner cities. Oh, okay, the, right, the, okay, poll tax, right. the poll tax, of course, was a bit later on in right, okay. 1989. But again, the same sort of thing, that something has to be done. So I think... Boris Johnson does have an agenda, but Brexit will make it harder to deliver because, frankly, all the economists' analysis suggests we're going to be a, a less prosperous country than we would have been because of Brexit. Therefore, there's less money to spend. Right. Well, maybe come to the end of our little chat. Many commentators are saying, of course, we won't really feel any, any different as of the 1st of February because we have this 11-month transition period, which, by all accounts, according to the Prime Minister, will in no circumstances be extended. So we won't see much difference. But what will change, as you know better than I do, is that as of 1st of February, we'll have no representation of the European Parliament, no commissioner, no European Commission. We'll only be taking part in, in the working groups of the Council of Ministers and so on and so on. Do you think that's going to be something that, that the politicians have not quite... Been, been very honest with the public about that we are going to lose as of day one, first of February, this this access, this influence. Well, absolutely. Um, I think I think on a sort of uh, just on a very human level, one of the interesting things I find talking to British ministers here is how much they actually enjoy going to Brussels and the, the really? meetings. Funnily yeah. enough, yeah. I mean, people like George Osborne and William Hague when they were ministers really enjoyed the fact they were going and meeting like-minded people, right. discussing serious policy issues and making decisions. And, as you say, for the next 11 months at least during the transition period, Britain will still be subject to all the rules being made in Brussels, European Court of Justice jurisdiction, um, but with no say at all over them. So I think that will be something that will be felt and probably hasn't been registered with the British public very much at the moment. And, of course, one of the reasons why Boris Johnson's determined to end the transition at the end of 2020, if he possibly can. I, I'm picking up, but can you confirm or deny, that one part of the strategy of the, the government, to extent it is a strategy, is that 
the, the prime, starting with the Prime Minister, there'll be a strategy of, of quote-unquote love bombing the European Union. And that, that might be member states and the heads of government as opposed to European institutions. But have you heard that? They're going to try and try and bend over backwards to demonstrate to the European partners that we, we're still basically keen on a, some kind of meaningful relationship going forward. Yes, I think there's going to be a really um, intensified effort by the Foreign Office to be, boost our sort of contacts and relationship with European member state governments. Um, the UK representation in Brussels is going to be redefined as UKMIS, the UK mission <laughs> to the European Union. But we're basically going to have to work an awful lot harder as a country to maintain the influence we've had inside the club over the last, whatever it is, 47, 48, 48 years. So I think there will be an escalated view on that. And actually, that's really important because if you look at some of the big policy decisions that's faced Boris Johnson since he became prime minister, if you look at things like Iran or digital sales tax, so-called Google tax, yeah. um, or the use of Chinese Huawei technology, where, where does Britain stand in the spectrum of, from Europe to whereabouts in the Atlantic, if you like, are we? Yeah. In relation to those big things, we're much closer to the European mainland and European thinking than we are to thinking going on in the Trump administration. And so, over time, we need to build those relationships, even though obviously it's going to be harder now we're outside the formal institutions of the EU. Well, maybe a final question then, George, which is about media coverage of Brexit phase two. You said just now you spent a lot of time covering things when nothing much was happening. Um, I'm just curious, for not just in terms of interest as a consumer media, to what extent will people like yourself be covering phase two of Brexit negotiations with the same level of intensity as you were doing before? Uh, will it still be interesting for your readers or will it be seen as kind of boring and technocratic and very protracted, certainly? But also beyond that, as a consumer of media like most of us are, is a way, obviously, to hold the government to account. If, if you guys feel it's, it's not as newsworthy as it has been until now, um, then um, the government can maybe sort of get away with things because they go unreported. I think it's a very good question. The, um, the government would, would hope that we will turn our gaze away from these negotiations. They, they want to de-dramatise it. As I said earlier, they want to stop talking about Brexit. They want to treat the negotiations of a trade deal with the European Union in the same way as they would treat negotiations with Australia or New Zealand, right, sort of right. rather technical and boring and lots of detail, nothing much to see here. Um, and I think generally um, the public, the media attention will move away from it because it, by definition trade negotiations are quite technical. Um, I hope the FT is a, an exception to that rule because right. these things are absolutely fundamentally important to um, UK commercial interests, the interests of individual companies, the Britain's economic future. Um, I mean just today for example we've done a whole page on the looming row that will happen in the summer where the European Union will demand access to our fishing waters right. in exchange for financial service access to um, the European market. So I mean these are huge stories which have to be covered even if Boris Johnson was rather we were looking the other way. Okay well, we have to leave it there. George Parker thank you very much for your time. Thank you.